And I appreciate you guys singing so well. Brother Adrian, if you would, come on up this direction. Garrett's going to help you with the microphone, get you mic'd up. And as he is putting the microphone on, I'll give him a quick word of introduction. To be honest, I'm struggling with his name and the name of his daughter. Um, I keep wanting to say it like an American. Adrian and Ariana. Is that correct? I'm getting there. Oh, shame. I'm still not there. You see, I'm struggling. Adrian, Ariana. I, that, but I've been here long enough. It looks like Adrian. <laughs> A- Adrian. I is no Adrian. I is the eerste Puerto Rican what Adrian is. <laughs> Do you have a word in Afrikaans for Puerto Rican? What's a Puerto Rican, right? <laughs> he, he's from Puerto Rico, or at least his family heritage is. Uh, but well, I think we would say Adrian and Ariana as his daughter. But uh, in the next few days, I hope you guys get to spend some time around these two. What a blessing they are. What a blessing. So I, I'll let Brother Adrian tell you more about himself as the days go by. Um, he was a year behind me in Bible school. So we've known each other for quite some time. And I'm sure you're going to get a blessing tonight. So you give him your full attention, brother. You come this way. Good to have you, brother. Amen. All right. Well, we don't make this pulpit for a short Ricans. Yeah, that's what it is. It, it's just an on button. Is it? Good. Now it's on. Now it's on. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, I've been trying to, to pronounce your words on the streets, and when I do, everybody just laughs at me. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to try to say good night or good evening. Huyanant. Is that okay? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, so, just so everybody knows, uh, me llamo Adrián Dominguez, yo soy de Puerto Rico, nací en Alemania, y soy pastor de una iglesia en Colorado. All right, so that, someone has to interpret that to be biblical tongues now. There you go. You are, okay, you ready? What he said was, I'm from Puerto Rico, I need money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Así es, that's it, that's it. Amen. I like the way he interprets. That's good. That was definitely the Spirit of God right there. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, is a, it is an honor to be here, honestly. Uh, our, I've known, as he mentioned, I've known Pastor uh, Mike for 21 years. Uh, back then, he was only 85. So, uh, but... Uh, Back, back, I'll say it like this, back then he could beat me in a game of basketball. I don't know about right now, but uh, that's a challenge. Um, but I've known him for a long time, and uh, he gave me some really good advice when I was a missionary years ago. I was a missionary in South America, 
Uh, people ask me where I'm from. Uh, I was born in Berlin. My family's from Puerto Rico, and I'm a pastor in Colorado. I don't know where I'm from anymore. I just know where I'm going. <laughs> Amen? I know where I'm going. Uh, I, did, I will say this. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, just jog, I, like to, I like to run. I like to exercise. So I was jogging around town, and I'll say hi to people, and they look at me like, okay, where is this guy from? <laughs> they can't quite figure it out. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Uh, but uh, it is a blessing being here. I, I will say I'm, I'm trying to catch up on what day it is. I think it was Brother Francois that asked me, well, Brother, when did you get here? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just know it's the first night. The preacher goes, just know it's the first night of the missions conference and you'll be just fine. So um, I, I do want to say this about our trip. Uh, my daughter, uh, Ariana, my wife is, is back home with her other two daughters and my daughter Ariana, this is uh, something she's been praying about uh, coming to South Africa for about two years now. And she has saved her own money to buy her own tickets to get here. And uh, this is something that she's been praying about. So this is a dream come true, uh, not just for myself to be a part of this, but for my daughter as well. I'm glad she could be here and glad she can meet all of you and uh, be a part of this. And uh, I'm very, very thankful uh, for the opportunity uh, you know, again, our church uh, is New Heights Baptist Church in Aurora, Colorado. Um, a, a couple of things about Colorado that are interesting. People like to go there to ski. A lot of people like to go there to ski. Another reason is because of marijuana. <laughs> so uh, they legalized it, and, and because that's become legalized, a lot of people like to go there for that. I just want to clarify, uh, I had somebody ask me. They came to my church, and they go, so it's legal to smoke marijuana here? I said, yeah. And they go, do any of your church people do that? And I said, come here. They do, but they don't tell me. <laughs> they don't. I'm just kidding. They don't do that, okay? Uh, the last thing I want is everybody go, man, they, the people in Colorado are real liberal, you know? They like to smoke marijuana at church. But, uh, but our, our church has supported uh, Pastor Mike and his family since about seven or eight years, something like that. And it's been a blessing for us to do that. Um, this is for me a dream come true and it's, it's, it's very special to see God's work continue here and you guys are far from being done it's just getting going there's so much more that God wants to do here um, I want to go to a very very maybe different or peculiar place to go to to start off a missions conference uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter number 14 with me 1 Samuel chapter number 14 and uh, if I could ask you to do this, uh, for those that can stand, as we read just a couple of verses, if you would stand with me as we read some of the Word of God together. Uh, people oftentimes ask me, Preacher, why do you like people to stand when you read from the Bible? And my answer is, misery loves company. If I'm standing, you've got to stand as well. <laughs> All right? Uh, but no, that's not it. We're not doing that for, for honoring me. We're doing it to honor the Word of God. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you just want to read along, uh, starting in verse number one. And now it came to pass upon a, upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people there were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, 
the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, by the way, there's a lot you can learn in between the passages. In between the passages. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Seneh. The forefront of the one was situate northward against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself while I read all these verses, if you were to hear me say uh, the words in Afrikaans that I was trying to pronounce earlier today, you would probably laugh. But if a Hebrew person heard us pronounce a lot of these words, they would laugh at us, <laughs> right? Uh, but look at verse number six. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, Come, and let us go over in the garrison of these uncircumcised. And this is what I want to call your attention to right here. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Vensel if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Be seated if you would. Now you may think, and you'd be right to think this, that that's probably not the first place you think of in your Bible when you think of missions. And I would understand why you would feel that way. I'll tell you right now, I'll get out in front of that and I'll just tell you, it's not the first place I think of either. However, I would, I would point out to you that here in 1 Samuel chapter 14, in, in verse number 6, Jonathan says something to his young armor bearer that I think we can learn from. And, and I would say this, I would say that there is a lot that God wants to accomplish this weekend during this missions conference. It may be that for some of you, it, it may be that God is specifically dealing with you about going to a mission field. It might be that God is dealing with you about maybe giving a certain amount to, to missions every month. I don't know what that may be. That's between you and God. It might be that God wants you to pray specifically about certain things a little bit more intently than you are right now as it comes to missions. I know this in a lot of churches, and I, I know that it's even happened in our church. We've got the wall where we've got the prayer letters and the pictures of the missionaries. And there are times where the brother, uh, brother Sean, uh, one of my helpers, will get up and he'll read a prayer letter and he'll say, okay, I'm going to read tonight. Uh, brother Flake, he is our missionary too. And some of our folks will know South Africa and some will not. What is that a, a sign of? It's a sign that maybe there needs to be a little bit more prayer over those missionaries. I, I don't know what God is going to deal with you about tonight. That is between you and God. But I know this much. You are here for a reason. God has you here for a purpose, and there is something that God needs to accomplish and desires to accomplish in your life. Uh, I, I, I've learned this much about your church. Uh, you have a, an amazing pastor, an amazing Bible teacher, and preacher of the Word of God. I'm not saying that to flatter him. It's because it's true. Never take it for granted. 
And I understand that your background, a lot of you, is coming from a more uh, reformed background where, where basically God selects who gets saved and God selects who is damned and goes to hell. And we don't believe that. Amen? Amen. We don't believe that. We, we understand there's something called free will in our lives. And, and, and so because of that, I want to call your attention to what Jonathan says one more time by way of introduction. It may be that the Lord will work for us. And I want to point out to you what we need this weekend is for God to work for us. We need God to work in us and with us and through us and for us this weekend. Or listen, all that we're doing and the planning and the, the attempt to get here to South Africa and having the crazy little Puerto Rican get up and, and shout at you for about 30, 45 minutes. By the way, preacher said uh, you got, you know, brother, go until about... Uh, I guess it'd be about uh, 7, 7.30 at night, something like that. And I said, great, is that mountain standard time? <laughs> because if so, we can go for another eight hours, amen? But, but, but truly, listen, if all that we do and all the excitement that goes into this, if God doesn't show up and God doesn't work for us, it's a waste of our time. And let me just say this, I value the fact that on a Friday night, that this place is as full as it is. This is a blessing. I take for granted that if you're here on a Friday night, you could be doing something else. Is because you want God to work for you. I want to remind you that here in 1 Samuel 14, uh, the context, if you can just give me a little bit of time to give a little bit of historical context to what's going on. In 1 Samuel 14, this is not the high point of military achievement for the nation of Israel. I, I want you to go back to chapter 13, go one chapter back, and look, if you would, at chapter 13 in verse number 5. 1 Samuel 13, one chapter back, verse number 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people, by the way, I'm getting, I cannot keep up with the currency exchange. I, I'm, I'm lost right now. My, my daughter will go shopping somewhere and she'll be like, Dad, it's 500 rands. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But I know this much. When I see 30,000 and 600, whatever it is, it's a lot. So, so Israel is surrounded with a lot of their enemies. And I want to point out to you how they respond to that in verse number 5. The Bible says that the people were as a sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in, in Michmash, eastward from Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, look at this, verse 6, for the people were distressed, then the people marched out with all their weapons and their AK-47s and their M-16s, <laughs> and they were ready like Rambo to fight. They were ready to go. No, that's not what it says. You know what they were doing? They were hiding themselves in caves and in thickets trying to get away from the enemy what I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is this the backdrop if you were to look at this as a portrait and you could just see in the background the background of chapter 14 is chapter 13 and in chapter 13 the nation of Israel is not at their high point they're at a low point and I would say this you have something very very unique here in this church I'm going to say it in Pochestrum did I get that right? <laughs> Like, sort of, I'm trying, man, I'm trying. Come on, this guy's from Texas. I can't believe he's laughing at me. <laughs> Stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. I mean, 
He's got no room to laugh at all. Glad we got that out of the way, man. But what you have going on here at this church is a very unique and very special thing, and you know that. The church at large is not marching onward for Jesus Christ. The church at large right now is in retreat. We don't have to be that way. I, I, I say this to our church, and I'll share the same message with you. We are in Laodicea, but we don't have to be Laodicean Christians. We understand the Laodicean church is lukewarm and, and they're hiding and they're, they're hiding in their caves and in their thickets and they don't want to come out and fight. And there's a select few that say this, maybe, maybe God will work for us. Maybe with God's help we can get something done for missions, for Jesus Christ, for the gospel's sake. It's not a high time. You say, what do they need? They need a courage. Somebody gave me a, a book not too long ago. I, I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of a famous preacher in America. Uh, he's died a, a while ago. His name is Adrian Rogers. Anybody ever heard of him before? And Adrian uh, Rogers, uh, they, they, wrote a, they put a book together called Adrianisms. I like that book. It's a good book. Somebody gave me that book. You know Pastor Tim Havman? Somebody gave me that book and a, a preacher friend of mine, and he said, I think you're going to really enjoy this book. And I didn't know what the name of it was, and I got it, and I said, oh, I like this already. <laughs> and in that, in that book, one of the stories that's told is about a man who had the, the tail of a lion. And he was walking around showing everybody, hey, guys, I've got the tail of a lion. It's a carnivore, a man-eating lion. I did this myself. I took out my pocket knife, and I cut that tail off by myself. And one time a man asked him, he says, that's, that's pretty neat. He says, let me ask you something. Why didn't you cut off his head? He says, oh, that was already done. <laughs> it's easy to be courageous when everybody else is courageous. It's easy to be courageous when things are going your way. But there are times when it can be pretty challenging when you're in the minority. And I would say tonight that at the church at large is going in the wrong direction, and I would say we're in the minority, but it's a good minority to be in. I want you to understand that what I'm talking about tonight is not so much going back, and, and as preachers, we do this sometimes. We talk about, man, the, the revivals from the early 1900s and the, the revivals of the 1800s and, and the missions work that went on in the six, uh, 16 and 17 and 1800s and the Philadelphia period and how God blessed the Word of God going out into all the world. And my thought is this. Listen, I may not have lived back there, but I want to be a Philadelphian Christian. I want to be a part of getting that book into the hands of every man and woman and child across this world. Some would say, we can't do it. Well, let's give it the best shot we got. And that, that is what I believe is going on, is that everybody in chapter 13 is going one way, and Jonathan looks around and goes, you know what? Nobody's going to stand up. Nobody's going to do anything. How about me and my arm bear? Let's give this a shot. And he looks at him and he goes, you know, maybe, maybe God will work for us. I like the attitude that Jonathan has. But I want to point out to you that whenever Jonathan says this in chapter number 14 in verse number 6, there are some things that led up to and surround that statement. 
And I would say it like this. If we want God to do something this weekend and help us and work for us and help us to advance the cause of missions and, and do something in us, not just that excites us temporarily or gets us motivated, but something that lasts. If we desire that, and we say, God, we want you to work for us, there are some things that have to be in place. Number one, let me say this. If we're willing to work together, the Lord may work for us. Look, if you would, at verse number one. I want you to notice in verse number one, you're going to find that Jonathan says this. Uh, he says, come and let us. Look at verse number six. Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, come and let us. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about us working together. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number seven. His armor bearer says, I am with thee. There is unity. There, there is a, a, a working together for the sake of the gospel. Uh, notice, if you would, at verse number 8. In verse number 8, then said Jonathan, we will pass over. Verse number 8, we will discover ourselves. Verse number 9, uh, they say unto us, then we will stand still. Verse number 10, we will go up. Verse number 11, both of them. You notice that whenever the church is fragmented and divided, God says, you know what, until you get back on the same page and you get your eyes focused in the right direction and you guys are divided like you are, I'm not going to work for you. Let me say this, what missions can do for us is it can keep us united. The cause of Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of reasons why Christians sometimes get in battles with each other over some silly things. We joke about this in America. We joke about how Christians sometimes will, uh, churches will split over the color of carpet that you decide to use in your new church building. And that may sound comical, that may sound funny, but these things are real. You say, what's the problem? When, pe when Christians get that way, they are no longer united around a central cause for Jesus Christ. We want God to work for us. Let me just say this. We need to work together with one another. Now, I don't know how much this is going to make any sense, but way, way back long ago in the 19, I don't know, I guess it would have been the 50s, there was a show in the United States called The Lone Ranger. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so The Lone Ranger, for those that know, he had a sidekick. His name was Tonto, which is really interesting because in Spanish, the word tonto means like idiot. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know who wrote that show, but they probably shouldn't have used that name. But anyways, Tonto is, is his sidekick, and one time they're going through a ravine, and as they pass through that ravine, they look up and they see some bad guys. They see a whole line of Indians, a whole line of Native Americans there on the ridge on one side, and a whole line of them over on the other side. And the Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and he says, Tonto, what are we going to do? And Tonto says, what you mean we, white man? <laughs> Now sometimes, that's, that's funny, but sometimes, here's what can happen inside of a church. Somebody else is doing that, I don't need to do it. Somebody else will take care of that, I don't need to worry about it. Somebody else will give, I don't have to give. Somebody else will pray, I don't have to pray. Somebody else will go, I don't have to go. And that's not how that should work. They work together to accomplish a common goal for the cause of the nation of Israel, no differently than we should the cause of Jesus Christ and world missions. I want you to notice how many times the word we and how many times the word us shows up in this passage. Uh, look with me if you would. Just run through some scripture together if we can. Psalm chapter 133. Psalm 133. Go there. We'll keep your hand in 1 Samuel 14. We'll come back to it. 
but let's take a, 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 just a, a little miniature trip through the, through the Bible and, and, and look at the concept of unity for God's people. Because without being unified, regardless of what it is that we think should happen this weekend, it could never be what God desires it to be if we're not on the same page. I'm a pastor. You say, what does that mean? Well, I, I don't know how it is, uh, Pastor uh, Mike, uh, here, but I can tell you I do a fair amount of marriage counseling. I like to do it before people get married because usually if I can do it before they get married, it's a lot easier to avoid the counseling that happens after they get married. Amen? But, but sometimes it just still happens. I know this. We've led some people to Christ later on in life with a lot more baggage in their life. And they're just as saved as you and me, but they've got problems because of the way they live for a long time. And sometimes we'll sit down and we'll, we'll go, okay, well, what's the problem? And we open up the Word of God. And it doesn't take very long to figure out that oftentimes the problem is this person has their agenda and this person has their agenda. And until they can get over their agenda and go, you know what? Our agendas don't matter. What can we do to get right with God and be right for our family's sake? Until they're unified, I can't do anything for them. Psalm 133, look, if you would, at verse number 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now listen, I have never seen the dew of Hermon and I have to tell you, if I was going to describe unity, I probably wouldn't use necessarily that language, but God decided to do that, and it's right. I wouldn't say, man, it's like the oil that ran down some man's beard. <laughs> I just don't think that way. But God does, and that's all right, amen? But the point is, to God, that is a beautiful thing for us to be unified and together. You know what I love seeing? I love seeing that no matter, here we are, and we've got folks from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of walks of life, different colors, different ages, different races, and we can get together and sing together about Jesus Christ and raise up a hand and say, thank God and praise God and be unified around something that is bigger than all of us. Amen. Go with me, if you would, to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. Just looking at some verses on unity, unity in the church. Acts 4, look if you would at verse number 32. And the multitude, you know what we have here tonight? We have a multitude. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You know what God desires? God desires for us to be unified in, in, our, in our location, being gathered together, yes, but also in our heart. That is a place that's not tied to a geographical spot on a map, but rather what it is that we are desirous of. Listen, I'll tell you this. Your church will stay much more united if you can stay centered and focused on the cause of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the world. Look, if you would, at Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2. Can I say it like this? Your flesh wants to divide you from God's people. The world desires to divide you from God's people. 
The devil surely de de desires to devour you and to ruin your life, and he'll do it in very small steps. Step number one is you can miss one Wednesday night or one Sunday or whatever. It's not that big of a deal. And just sort of pull you away little by little. And before you know it, your heart is in a different place. Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. Look, if you would, at verse number two. Now, Paul gives this as, as some advice that he gives to the Philippian church. And he says, look, if you care at all about me, <laughs> you care at all about my joy, and you want to give me some kind of peace of mind, you guys get along and work together for Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, look if you would at verse number 2, fulfill you my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What am I getting at? The Lord desires unity within his body. And, and Jonathan, listen, there's not a lot of people that want to join Jonathan on this great adventure of his. How many converts does Jonathan have to go on this adventure, this mission that he goes on? How many converts? One. But that's all that it took. That's all that it takes as long as those two are in unity. God can do some great things, and he does, as we're going to learn I read this. There's a great man that wrote a, a number of books on prayer. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote some great books. If you, those of you that are studying in the ministry, I recommend, and I'm sure your pastor would as well, uh, get some of his books on very devotional, very, very deep on the devotional side of things, how to, how to really walk with God. And he writes this about unity. He says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, by the way, whoever played piano tonight, wherever you're at, thank you, that was a blessing. I'll tell you what, all you need, by the way, all you need to appreciate a piano player is to not have one. <laughs> My daughter plays our piano, and, and in about a year or so, she's going off to Bible school. And I'm just, Lord, please bring us a piano player. <laughs> when we started our church, it was in my living room. And what I would do is I had a CD player, and I'd turn around and hit, okay, play. And, and it works, but it just isn't the same. So sister, whoever played tonight, thank you so much. He says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. You say, what is it? Those pianos are in unison, they are in unity because they are focused and they are tuned to one higher authority. There is something that can bind us a lot tighter together and it's not our backgrounds, it's not what we like to talk about, it's not the sports. Thank God it's not sports. I don't understand cricket. I don't get it. I don't. I mean, every time I see that big panel and the guys do it, I'm like, no, 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 it's like this, man. It's like this. There's something bigger than all of that. And for us, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ensuring that the next generation has something to take to their generation, and so on and so forth. Does that mean I'm done? <laughs> I want you to know the Lord wants us to be unified with each other, but also unified with Him. I had the privilege of praying today with your pastor before church and uh, I think he was secretly praying, God, please don't let this Puerto Rican embarrass me with, with, in front of my church. 
Because, you know, he's like, oh, man, I, I can't talk. And so I know he's doing, oh, Lord, please don't help him. Embarrass him. <laughs> I, I heard embarrassed somewhere in there. I'm not sure. <laughs> but as we were praying, the thought struck me, and I'm not going to lie. It brought me to tears. The thought struck me. We're not just here to serve the Lord and to work for him. But the Bible says we are laborers together with God. The Lord wants us unified with each other, but also unified with Him. You see, if you remember in our passage, the, the Bible says that Jonathan looks to his arm bearer and says, come with me and let us pass over where? To the other side. Wherever you're at right now, there's another side to the Christian life. There's a further place God wants you to go. There's more to learn about Jesus, amen? Don't you ever feel like the more you read the Bible, the less you know about God? And, and listen, you, the more committed you become to, to the gospel and getting the gospel out in your own life, here in Pochestrum, still not good, he's still laughing. Here but in all the world, the more you desire that, the more you realize, Lord, there's still more I need to learn. You see, you see, Jonathan says to his armor, let us pass over on the other side, no differently than Jesus says to his disciples, come, come get in the boat and let us pass where? To the other side. And I want you to remember that Jesus in Mark chapter 4 gets with them in the boat. And yes, the storm comes, but we learn from that, that just because the storm comes, it doesn't mean that God was any less with us. We teach our kids. I don't know if, I'm assuming this is what you do here. I don't know. I, I, almost, I thought I was going to die today. We were walking to the university and walking around, and your pastor goes, watch this. Car's coming. He just, <laughs> he goes, no. And I said, let's walk fast. Let's go. Let's go. We're in the, he goes, no, this is Africa, man. It's cool. <laughs> I can just see it right now. I'm going to die. And it's a tombstone in South Africa. going to say, he was a good man. He walked too slow. I, I'm assuming it's like this here. I know in America, we teach the kids, hold my hand, let's look both ways, then let's cross the street. You say, what is that holding of that hand? It's to make sure we're moving in the same direction at the same time. Nothing like what he did to me today. <laughs> Here's the point. God wants to move. And he wants to get us beyond where we're at for missions. But it takes us working together with each other and with him. I've not been here very long, but I've learned this much. I will not starve in South Africa. <laughs> Everywhere I turn, on the airline, they're like, man, it was like, I felt like it was every two hours, here's some food. I'm like, man, I can't eat anymore. And since I've been here, I've eaten so well. And watching tonight, people bring food and set things up and check the sound system and practice the music and just see this thing work together. Whew. You gotta understand, for, I, I hope nobody ever takes this for granted. I can tell you as a pastor, I just sit back and go, praise God. Are we united? Are we united? Let me say this, look if you would at 1 Samuel chapter 14, second point. If we're willing to work together, the Lord may work for us. Point number two is this. If we're willing to risk something, 
the Lord may work for us. I want you to look at verse number six here in, in, uh, verse, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14 as he says, come and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be. Can I point out to you that if it may be, it may not be? <laughs> I'm not real deep. I'm pretty simple. I mean, I, I like it like that. And, and, and what I'm getting at is this. There was an element of risk involved in the work of God. And I, I, the longer I live, I tell the guys in my church, living the Christian life ain't for sissies. I tell our young men, I, I, don't, I don't know, again, I don't culturally, I don't know how this jives, if this makes any sense or not, but I tell the young men, you know, they want to get, you know, get strong and get fit, you know, and go to the gym and, you know, show the girls. Sometimes, you ever watch the guys at the gym, you know, they, Aah! And I'm just wondering, are they doing that just so everybody notices that their biceps are moving? Or I tell our young men, I say, hey guys, you want to lift a heavy weight? Take this with you to school. And in a place where they ridicule God, at least that's how it is where I'm from. And where God is a, 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 a laughing matter in the eyes of so many, and the educational system and society has tried to put God in a corner and stick him in the four walls of a church, and as long as God plays nice and stays in church, they're okay with God. I tell them, hey, you want, you want to do something great? Uh, you want to risk something? Risk your popularity? Risk your friends? Risk what they think about you? Take your Bible to school. Be a man for Jesus Christ. The longer I live, the more I realize if you're going to do something for God, you are going to have to risk something for the cause of missions. You know what some people risk when their loved ones move away? Yeah. For some people, you know what they risk? They risk making commitments to God financially and going, okay, God, you've got to figure this out. I'm going to commit this to you. For some people, it's a matter of, you know what, I might look like a fool whenever I go to church on a Friday night and then a Saturday and then a Sunday. Can I say this? You're going to look like a fool for something. You might as well look like a fool for Jesus Christ. But missions is going to cause us to examine how much and how willing we are to risk something. For the cause of Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor said this, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. I like this poem. This is interesting. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never actually died. <laughs> you say, why? He just didn't risk anything. There was no risk. There was no, there was no chance of losing something. And as long as you live that kind of Christian life, okay, God, I'll do this as long as it doesn't cost me this. And God, I'll go here as long as you don't call me here. And God, you know what? I'll pray for the missionary, but don't call me to go. And God, you know what? I'll give what I'm comfortable giving, but God, never stretch me financially. And God, as long as that goes on in your life, you will miss out on so much that God desires for you. One time I'm sitting in a spa. And my dad was in the army. That's why I was born in Berlin, Germany, by the way. My dad was in the army, U.S. Army. He was drafted from the, mount, the mountains of Puerto Rico. He didn't know any English. He was drafted to go into the Vietnam War. 
And my dad went in the Vietnam War, and, and uh, you know, my, he's uh, got some funny stories about uh, what happened there and all that kind of thing. But uh, long story short, as he got back to the States uh, uh, and then moved back to Germany the second time, he got saved there, and that changed our lives. And toward the end of his Army career, he was stationed at Fort Carson, which is just south of Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I was sitting in the gym, and I'm sitting in there, and there's, uh, sitting in a sauna, and there's all these guys, and at the time, I think I'm 18, I'm on my summer break from Bible school, and I'm sitting in this sauna, and these guys are talking, and they're saying how hot it is, and I said, man, it is so hot. One guy said, man, it's as hot as hell in here. And it was like the Lord saying, this is it. I'm like, Lord, I know, but I'm going to look stupid if this goes bad. <laughs> Isn't that what we do sometimes? And the Lord just said, Adrian, you better talk right now, and I'm thankful I did. I said, it's not that hot. And the guy goes, what do you mean? I said, it's not as hot as hell. Very, very long story short, about 15 minutes later, I'm trying to answer these questions. One guy gets offended. The guy that says it's hot as hell, he leaves. But there's one guy that keeps asking me all these questions, and I'm answering his questions, and now I'll get out of the sauna, and I just got a towel on, okay? So I get out of the sauna, and I want to get dressed, and this guy's right next to my locker asking me questions, and I'm like... Trying to, trying to answer his, I'm like, dude, Lee, and this guy's just, he wants, there's something there. Long, and I, get, I finally get dressed. The guy gives me some space. We go outside, and right there on the steps of that gym, I, on, on the base, the Army base of Fort Carson, that guy is a captain in the U.S. Army. He's high up there. He gets down on his knees, and he asks Jesus Christ to save his soul. What am I getting at? Look, you've got to learn to risk something sometimes. John Jewett, a, a famous English preacher, says this, It is possible to evade a multitude of sorrows through the cultivation of an insignificant life. I don't know about you, but I don't want anyone to describe my life as insignificant for spiritual matters in eternity. He says this, Indeed, if a man's ambition is to avoid the troubles of life, the recipe is simple. Shed your ambitions in every direction. Cut the wings of every soaring purpose and seek a life with the fewest contacts and relations. If you want to get through the world with the smallest trouble, you must reduce yourself to the smallest compass. Tiny souls can dodge through life. Bigger souls are blocked on every side, like both those rocks you mentioned earlier. I'd rather have some trouble. I'd rather risk some things. I think if you were to ask your pastor, hey, preacher, have you risked anything to start this church? Listen, there's going to be some things that you try for the Lord, and they're not all going to work out. And that's not where you stop and go, well, I guess I'm done. No, you keep trying, and you keep going. Listen, if God had not intervened and God had not rescued them, it was still right for them to go and to fight the enemies of God, even if nobody else was. Abraham never becomes a mighty nation without risking the security of home. Moses never becomes a leader without risking facing the king of Egypt. Gideon never experiences winning a battle with only 300 men if he doesn't risk something for God. David, I love David. You know I like David because he, he messes up like all of us do, but there's just something about it. He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. David does not become the mighty leader of Israel without asking, is there not a cause? 
And his brothers mock him and they disdain him and he's ridiculed. He risked his popularity. He risked his self-image. Why? To do what was right. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ risked heaven for you? I shudder to think where I'd be without Jesus today. I won't give you my whole life story, but I'll just tell you. I grew up in a chaotic home where the police were called to my house more than once at two in the morning. My parents did not get saved until later in life, and there was a lot of baggage and a lot of issues. They were not discipled. That was the real problem. Take on discipleship. It's a good thing. And when I look at where my siblings have gone, some of them have gone into... Uh, mental institutions. Some of them have gone into uh, 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 all kinds of uh, uh, situations involving drugs, all kinds of terrible things. I don't even want to mention. The point is this. If it wasn't for Jesus in my life, I would be an absolute mess, maybe dead and in hell. Do you know why I'm here? Because he risked heaven. Do you know why I'm here? I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because somebody had risked uh, uh, telling me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They risked how I would take that. I'm here because somebody told that person, that told that person, that told that person. There was a lot of risk through 2,000 years of church history to get me in 1992 to the point where I got saved. Are you willing to risk something? You know the word peradventure in the Bible, it's a Latin word. It comes from the Latin word venio. Venite adoremos, venite adoremos, venite adoremos, dominu. You know the old Latin Christmas song, right? Peradventure. You know what that word, it's a Latin word from, from, from Venio. You say, what does it mean? <laughs> By chance, perhaps, it may be. How about this? And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle on all men, Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance and acknowledging of the truth. Can I say it like this? There's a much higher chance that they will repent if the preacher does his job and instructs them. But there's a risk on his part. They may or may not take it. Can I ask you a question? Has everybody gotten saved that you've witnessed to? Has every Christian gotten disciple that you've tried to disciple? And you know what? For the rest of your life, it'll be that way. You've got to risk something. And I don't care. Listen, it may be, it may, whatever it may be. Some of you are older, some are younger. You're at different places in life. That is not so much the point. Wherever you're at. I, I was talking to the brother, uh, John. Is that your name, sir? Right here? John. Okay, I want to make sure it's not supposed to be Jan or something like that. I don't want to mess it up, okay? Uh, let's see here. I, I, I was trying to give someone else's name. Was it Arnu? Did I get that right? Uh, but I appreciate it. he's saying yes and he's like <laughs> I was talking with Brother John before church and he, or we're in the shaking hands time and I love doing that we, our church does that too and I like the idea of the bell because I can never get them back together they're just they're all over the place and I'm like okay next song let's go <laughs> they're enjoying the fellowship so much that's a good thing I was talking to Brother John before, before uh, we got up I came up here and he was telling me a little bit about his story and he said, I kept trying to retire, and they wouldn't let me go. <laughs> and every year, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm, I'm getting older. I'm one year older. And they say, just one more year, John. 
And I said, you know, and he told me, you know what, I get to come here, I get to unlock the doors and help with this. I live right across the street. I said, isn't it great that you never retire from serving Jesus? What I'm getting at is you never quit risking something for God if you're going to do something for him. God, we want you to work for us. And the Lord says, great, I'd love to work for you, willing to risk something. Can I say it like this? I went to Bolivia, South America. My wife became very ill. I had to leave the mission field. You say, what happened, preacher? Were you strong in faith and you kept carrying on? No, I was so depressed when that happened, I wanted to quit the Christian life. I came back to the United States after spending 19 months on deputation and raising the funds and, and getting everything prepared and going. And, and in a year's time, I'm back after being on the mission field. I'm back in the U.S. And I thought, man, God, you are done with me. I, life is over. I just want to quit. You say, what happened? I risked something. It didn't work out. And what did God want me to do? Sit in the corner and suck my thumb for the rest of my life? That's what I wanted to do. Somebody sent me a letter. You say, who was it? A preacher named uh, Brother Shiraz. He himself was a missionary to Germany years ago. And he sent me this letter. And in the letter, it was this poem. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled. Or where the doer of the deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena or woman whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotion, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I read that letter and tears just coming down my eyes. I said, okay, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do next. I sure am glad I didn't quit. I wouldn't be here tonight. You're going to have to learn to risk some things, though. They may not always work out. They may not always work in your favor. But I want you to notice that what he says is it may be. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Thirdly, let me say this. Look, if you would, at verse number seven. His armor bearer said to him, do all that is in thine heart. And I'm not gonna preach much about the armor bearer, but let me say this. We need more armor bearers. We need some people that will simply say what he says in verse seven. Behold, I am with thee. We need some people that will be committed. If we are willing to commit, it may be that the Lord will work for us. You know what I like? I like Matthew 28. You, know, you say, what happens? That's where Jesus tells us to go into all the world, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you, what? Always. I like that myself. Don't you like knowing the Lord is always there, all the way? All the way. We like it when it goes that way. We don't always like to commit from here to there. We know the Lord is always with us. The challenge is us, not God. The challenge is us being able to commit and say, I am with thee. David Livingston, who I'm sure you know about, had a man one time write him from the Mission Society in England, and they said this, Have you found a good road to where you're at? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. Livingston wrote back, you know, he said, if you have men who will only come if there's a good road, I don't want them. 
I want men who will come if there's no road at all. You say, what is that? Commitment. You know how that, you know how that gets tested when you're younger in the faith? Uh, hey, will I see you at church on Sunday? I'm a preacher. I, that's what I ask people. Hey, I hope to see you on Sunday. And if they're like, yeah, I hope to see you too, I'm like, I won't see him. You say, why? Because they're hoping. They're not committing. If I said, I hope your boss doesn't fire you, is that the, I don't know, uh, what is the word for fire? Is that, oh, okay, it's fire, good, all right. I know there's another British word, I don't, I'm not familiar with what that is, I forget, canned, fired, whatever. If I said, I hope you don't die tomorrow, would you like, would you appreciate that? I'm sure not. I, I, you know, I plan to be here, I'm committed to seeing tomorrow. I'm not going to walk with your pastor a lot of places, because I want to make it to tomorrow, but you see how we are? Oh, yeah, I, I hope to see a preacher. I hope to be able to do that. I hope, God, I, I hope I'll get to that. God, I hope I'll... No, God says, hey, commit, and I will work for you. Notice the courage. Because of the armor bearer's commitment to Jonathan in verse 7. Look, if you would, at verse number 8. Can I ask you a question? This is not deep. What's the first word in verse 8? You know what it tells you? Jonathan hadn't quite made up his mind yet. You know what gave him the courage to make that commitment all the way? Someone that was in unity with him, saying, I'm with you. Pastor Mike, I'm with you. If, if you. if you were going to support another missionary, I'm with you. You, you think God's calling someone to the missionary? Let's, let's pray about who that may be. I'm with you. Lord, I'm with you. God, I'm committed. And as soon as that armor bearer makes that commitment, Jonathan says what in verse number 8? Behold, we will pass over. You say, what does that do? It gave the, cur- the commitment of the armor bearer gave Jonathan the courage to do what he was called to do. When I was a missionary on deputation, that's a weird word. I've asked a lot of missionaries where that word came from, and nobody knows. It's like magic, you know? Now, you may have an answer, because he's like the answer guy right here, you know? I love your preacher. He's a blessing. But I was on deputation. I'll never forget, I was in a church in Ohio. And after the missions conference was over, he said, okay, all you missionaries, go against that wall right over there. Mm. I don't know what's going on, but this sounds weird. He said, you go to the back wall and you stand over there. I'm thinking, I'll move when another missionary moves. I'm not going to do this by myself. So we get to the back wall and we're standing there with our families and hold my wife's hand. And he says, church family, come on up. And they all come up here. And he takes this big, heavy rope throws it down the aisle, right down the center aisle. And the church is up here. And the missionaries are back there. And he says, each one of you missionaries and each one of you missionary wives, grab a hold of that rope. We all picked it up and we all grabbed it. I'm thinking, are we about to do tug of war? (laughs) All the church got around that rope. And that preacher said, I want you missionaries to know when you leave here, We're committed to holding the ropes for you. You will not drift away. We will be praying for you. We will be supporting you. We will be behind you. 
It takes commitment. Can I say it like this? Be the church member. Be the, the, the person in this church that when the preacher needs you to do something, man, I'll, I'll be there. You say, why? Because if you can do that with some of the things that you might consider small, when it comes to some of the greater things and the greater expanse that we call global worldwide missions, God may use you in ways you never thought possible. Can I say it like this? Look, if you would, at verse number 8. Read verse number 8 for yourself. Read verse number 9 for yourself. Read verse number 10. Now, you may not think this. You may think, that doesn't sound like a great plan. Because Jonathan basically says this. If they say this, then, okay, we'll stay here. If they say this, we go up and we fight. I don't like those two option type of things. I'm looking for the third option. You know, is there another way we can sort of measure this all out? You may look at that plan and you may go, I could have planned it better. Maybe you could, but you weren't there. He was. You know, when Peter got out of the boat and he starts walking on water, you guys know the story, and he's walking on water and he's, you know, uh, I always think of myself, I, I think, you know, in my own mind, I'm a legend in my own mind, I think of chariots of fire. Dun, 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 and there I am just moving toward the Lord and all, everyone's looking at me, and then I push right down the water. Now, you know, with Peter, I wonder sometimes if everybody looked at Peter and him walking on the water and then crashing and falling and failing miserably, I wonder if everybody thought, there he goes again. You say, what was Peter's plan? Let's think back. Let's rewind that tape a little bit. You know what Peter says? Lord, if it's you, tell me and I'll come. Now, I look at that story and I go, hey, dummy, that could have been anybody. What do you mean? I mean, if you think it's a, they all thought it was a ghost and you're like, Lord, if it's you, tell me and I'll come. I'm like, hey, man, I want some ID. <laughs> Turn the water into wine, do something before I get out of the boat. You may look at that and go, Peter, that was not a smart plan. That, but it was a plan. It was a plan. You understand what I'm saying? You may look at what Jonathan says is the plan in verses 8 and 9 and 10, and you're going to go, man, that doesn't sound like a very deep plan. Can I say this? Sometimes you don't have a lot of time to plan. When it comes to the things of God, listen, you ought to be looking forward, but there are times where an opportunity falls in your lap to do something for the Lord and for God to work for you, and that's where you're at tonight. And rather than sit back and go, well, I don't know, I'm not sure, commit to what God is showing you and make a plan. God may work for us if we're willing to plan. Now, you may look at the Red Sea. <laughs> I love this story. They all get to the Red Sea. All right, Moses, how are we going to get past it? God's going to open it. That's the plan? Yes. <laughs> there have been some times in my church where I've got good men, good men, <laughs> and they won't tell me, preacher, that's a dumb idea. They won't do that. But they have that look on their face. I'm thankful for some good men that'll just commit and go, okay, preacher. And they're looking at it going, okay, if we're going to die, we're all going to die together. <laughs> you may look at these things, that the Passover night. What kind of plan is that? Take blood, put it here, put it here, you'll be safe. Gideon's mighty men. 
Hey, um, yeah, you got a couple thousand people, uh, big church, I like the church, good job, doing a great job. Let's cut that church down to this. Well, Lord, I could do more with more men. Yeah, but you won't have me involved, so let's get down to 300. And can you imagine him trying to explain to those that are still there, okay, what's the plan? Here we go, you ready? Pictures. Last I checked, a pitcher's not a great weapon. Okay, well, Gideon, what are we going to do? We're going to smash him on the head. No, 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 no. We're going to put light, light inside of the pitcher. Okay. What do we do after that? You're going to break the pitcher. You guys like that idea? No, it's a stupid idea. You see, we look at the, some of the plans that the men of God had, and we, we may go, that doesn't seem very smart. It doesn't seem like it works, but God can get involved. Can I say this, though? God, again, going back to your, some of your backgrounds and some of you that came from a different church background, you don't hold on to this anymore. You know that God doesn't make you do things. God shows you what he wants you to do, and it's up to you whether you do it or not. And sometimes God's plans don't always make sense in our minds. But you know what? When God says, this is what I want you to commit to, you know what you can do? You can take a piece of paper and say, God, I will read my Bible tomorrow morning, and I'll read it the day after that, and I'll read it the day after that. And God, here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to do with my budget so I can give to missions. And God, here's what I'm going to do about this. And God, here's my plan for how I can get tracks out every day and get the gospel out. And God, here's what I'm going to do about getting these Bibles out. And God, here's, here's my plan. God, what do you think about it? And God may look at it no, no differently than I do with my eight-year-old daughter sometimes met your daughter I wish she was here she is creative beyond I don't understand where she gets her creativity from I went home the other day and, and we got this workout program that me and my wife have done called lift four and so I got home and she goes dad I gotta show you something she says you know how you do lift four I said yeah she goes I've got lift five <laughs> and she had a mat to show me how to get down to her gym downstairs and she had an obstacle course that she had built and all this kind of stuff and I looked at her, I'm like Oh, man, this is hilarious. That is how sometimes the Lord might look at our plans. But you know what? He smiles. He goes, you know what? I'm going to get involved in this. Because this is cute. I think you're trying. Amen? You say, what did you do when your daughter's showing you this obstacle course? I said, okay, baby, what do I do? And I got these elastic, elastic bands. And she goes, okay, Dad, put the bands around your feet and go like this. And then she, I have a, a, a pillar in my basement, you know, one of the, the supporting pillars. And she put those, those bands, you know, that you use like this. She puts him around the pillar. She goes, okay, Dad, stretch your legs and go like this. And I, I look like an idiot. But I got involved with her plan because she was trying. Are you with me tonight? For willing to plan. You say, why? Because plan shows our, planning shows our commitment to excellence for the Lord. Listen, I, I have a secular job. And we do these things called strategic plans for, the, for my secular job. Okay, what are we going to do in the next two, four, five years? And Christians don't think about what they're going to do tomorrow for the Lord, let alone five years. Planning takes time. It takes thought. It takes a commitment to a vision. And it takes talking and communication. I don't know how this works in South Africa, but I can tell you that in North America, the number one and number two causes of divorce in North America are money and communication. And they oftentimes go hand in hand. 
And, and you, you say, what does that matter? What I'm getting at is this. When there's a lack of planning, the, 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 what they say in the military is, when you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. It may be the Lord will work for us if we're willing to plan. Let me show you my last point. Look, if you would, you, if you're not familiar with the story, let me give you a spoiler alert. I'm really good at that, by the way. I've been telling people in my church, don't sit down. If you have a problem with a preacher going for an hour and you can sit down and watch Endgame for three, <laughs> something's wrong with you. I told them, I said, listen, here's what happened. Captain America gets old, he gives the shield away, the end, end of story. And there's a kid sitting there, she's going, oh. <laughs> And you know what I said to her? When she was upset, I said, you're welcome. Plan ahead, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. I want you to notice, if you're not familiar with the story, what happens. The Philistines start to laugh and they think it's cute that these two guys are coming to fight them. In verse 11. In verse number 12, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and here's the test. He goes, you with me? This is where being with me really counts. And they go and they fight. And I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert if you don't know the story. The good guys win. And, 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 and God works for them. But I want to point something out to you. Look, if you would, at verse 13. This is not a trick question, I promise. Preachers do this all the time. You ever notice this? Preachers ask trick questions. Do you love God? And you're like, I love the Lord. Then why weren't you here Wednesday night? <laughs> it's like, that's the last time I'm raising my hand in church. This is not a trick question, I promise. Look at verse number 13. Who climbs up the wall? Does it mention Jonathan doing that? And it mentions armor bearer coming behind him, right? Uh, in verse number 14, who is killing these 20 men? Is it not Jonathan and his armor bearer? Again, not a trick question, I promise. In verse number 15, isn't Jonathan and his armor bearer, aren't they the ones that caused the Philistines to tremble in verse 15? Yeah. And I want you to look at how, what they did, and then I want you to see that in verse number 16, God gets involved, and the Philistines start beating down one another. But I want you to notice that in verse 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. It's Jonathan and his armor bearer. They're doing all this stuff. So who should get the credit for all this? Not Jonathan and his armor bearer. Look, if you would, at verse number 23. It may be that the Lord will work for us if we're willing to give God the credit. There's been enough things in my life that God has done to show me it's not about you. It's not about New Heights Baptist Church in Aurora. And it's not even about Bible Baptist Church in the name of your town. <laughs> you see, I put myself out there too many times and I got ridiculed. And You see, what's it about? It's about getting the gospel out in all the world. It's about Jesus Christ. It may be that the Lord worked for us if we're willing to give God the credit. The Lord saved Israel that day. 
if we're willing to work together for a common goal, and you're willing to risk something, and you're willing to commit, put that commitment down on paper. If I came to you and I said, hey, I'd like to buy your car. And you said, okay, uh, here's what the price is. And I said, okay, let's shake on it. I'll pay you every month. You think maybe we ought to put it in writing? There was a time in my country where you shake a hand and that was it. That's all you needed. No more. I don't know how it is here. When you go to buy a house in the United States, you sign this much paperwork. <laughs> you say, why? They want to make sure you are committed and that they have it in writing. If we're going to do that for the world, do you think maybe we ought to do that for God? When's the last time God showed you something? You took your Bible and you wrote down in the back of your Bible, God, you showed me this is what you want me to commit to. Here's my plan. Some of you have done that for your business, but you haven't done it for the Lord. Maybe we're willing to give God the credit. He might work for us. God's doing some great things in this church, and He's not done it. And I'm excited to see what He'll do at the end of this weekend. I pray you're here all weekend. But I'll tell you this, if God does anything, it's because He knows in our hearts we are willing at the end of all of it to say, God, it wasn't us, it was you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would stand, preacher, if you'd come. Amen. Let me, you guys just stand there with your heads bowed and eyes closed as we normally do. I'd like to give you a moment to think about what you've heard. Let it sink in a little bit. Caleb will play something softly. And you folks know how we, <clears throat> how we do this. We have this area up in the front of the church. We call it the altar area. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, you're more than welcome to come this direction and make that commitment. You heard a lot of good stuff tonight. A lot of good stuff. Maybe the Lord has put His finger on your heart. You know, for a lot of folks, it's a risk to come up to the altar. You know what the risk is? Not only what will somebody else say if they see me go up there. The risk is, if I go up there, and I start talking to God about it, He might hold me to it. It gets real. It's a risk. Twenty three years ago, I took a risk. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. I, I was told that it would change my life, but I had no idea how much. I'm so glad I took that risk. I'd like to give these folks a few minutes. Now see, here, here's the blessing. We're just getting started, right? Please don't think you have to make all the decisions tonight. What I would like for you to do 
is to hang on to what you've heard. Let the seed sink deep into the heart. Let it take root. We don't even have to see all the fruit of this missions conference by Sunday night. We'd like to see the Lord continually work. Now there's a very good chance if you're here on a Friday night that you do know the Lord personally as your Savior. But I also recognize that there's the chance someone's invited you. Maybe you've never heard preaching such as this. Maybe you're not sure where you're going to go when you die. Maybe this is a little new to you to see people excited about the gospel. We would be honored to take a Bible tonight and show you how you can be 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven. Some folks are still praying here. We're not going to rush them. I just want to give you this opportunity. In a few moments, we'll close in prayer. But if you have questions about where you're going to be in eternity, would you please come and find me? Just after the service, you come find me. I won't embarrass you. We'll sit down privately, quietly. And I'd love to explain to you how Jesus can save your soul eternally eternally you know what Jesus told the disciples when it comes to to real discipleship he said before you build the tower you sit down and you count the cost Right? That's a plan. That's a commitment. That's a risk. But it's a risk worth taking. Father, we thank you tonight for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I cannot wait for what comes tomorrow and the next day. Thank you for stirring our hearts tonight. Thank you for speaking to my heart. God, give us courage to take that next step, to fight that next battle. Lord, if there is someone here tonight that's not saved, please, God, draw them in. Please deal with their heart. Father, thank you for a wonderful first night. Please bring us back tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, Lord, we, we want to get a greater vision for taking the gospel all around the world. Please, God, continue to meet with us. We thank you for what you've done already. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.